Katie and Ken and Darren. These are three heroes to me. They came on board when I first interviewed Mahalino and then Anna and Gypsy on the Tokola Islands. And they offered to, for, for no money, purely to do the right thing and to care about other Kiwi citizens, which the people on the Tokolas are, they offered to create a legal team and last night, in this world where we are so horrified so many days, we put up a post sharing a little triumph, but it's a triumph that comes with a caveat. Katie, could you begin? What did happen yesterday? Just a brief summary. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Katie. I'm um, a, a lawyer, and I've been helping um, out quite a few people over the last wee while um, and had the uh, privilege to be contacted by Liz um, with respect to what was happening on um, Tokelau. So we've been really busy in the last uh, month and a half since we've been helping out there, uh, figuring out what best um, to do strategy-wise and to get these, um, their family of four, uh, mum, dad, and a 27-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter um, out of uh, home detention or house arrest that they've been under now since uh, August of last year. Uh, we have prepared um, applications to um, both the High Court and the UN um, and we threatened to file those um, uh, against the uh, group that, or the village elders that were, had issued the home arrest and the Tanoa, it is called, uh, over the family. Uh, and we wrote to them um, last week and let them know we would be filing um, these uh, applications. We did that as a matter of, of courtesy and also um, in a hope that they would lift the Tanoa without us having to go to um, extreme uh, levels of um, you know, jurisdictional and um, judicial support. Uh, and fortunately yesterday, uh, within an hour to spare um, of the time frame for us to file, uh, we received confirmation from the village elders that the um, Tanoa over the um, Patalicio uh, family had been uh, lifted. So uh, we are um, very delighted that these um, restrictions have been uh, lifted. And those restrictions, um, the Tanoa at the moment, uh, as we understand it, related to fishing and foraging, and the um, Patalicio family live uh, on the um, on, on the water, um, being able to go to the supermarket. Uh, being able to get uh, medical uh, attention, being able to swim um, and being able to attend church, local um, ceremonies and visit family and friends. And this is an atoll of 400 people, um, thereabouts, and everybody is essentially family and friends on these, uh, on these um, small, uh, small village islands and um, communities. Katie, that's an excellent summary. And as I said, it comes with a caveat, this triumph, with a warning, because there is still work to be done. We are going to dig into what you did legally, but just for an overview from you, Ken, you and Darren helped collect this evidence in the affidavits as well. It was horrific what was done to this family, wasn't it? It was, it was on the main island. They were completely socially ostracized. Beyond that, there was bullying. There was depression obviously that would show up in such an intense situation for over a year. How, how did you find the collecting of the evidence in the affidavit form? Did it emotionally affect you very strongly, Ken? I think, 
I think the fact that we couldn't um, talk directly with them, the fact that we knew that they were suffering and they were suffering um, both mentally and physically, but the, the position that they were in where they couldn't communicate with the outside world with, um, without massive trouble, um, restrictions placed on them constantly with people being uh, in the local area being quite uh, cruel to them and isolating them and, um, if you like, harassing them and possibly even threatening them with violence. I think they felt incredibly um, afraid and humiliated mostly. And from our point of view, from certainly from any uh, position of, of uh, a distance situation like, like we were, it felt quite helpless for, for us. So to actually try and get in there and, and get communication going and get the affidavits from them, um, it was a huge exercise in, in uh, practical sort of interactions with very difficult uh, obstacles being placed in, in our way all the time. So I feel that it was a long process and I felt so sorry for them. I felt that we, we were the only source or the only way out for them because nobody else seemed to be doing anything. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric, a lot of talk about how it could be done, but uh, I think all of us got in there and did the practical stuff and actually made it happen. And that, from our point of view, it was a, a victory for them, but it was also a victory for us. But it was, it was from our point of view, it was, it was nothing. It, it was just so glad to, to get them to a point where they are now free. But the next steps, of course, um, they are ahead of us. And uh, I guess we will have to consider what those steps might be. Um, we'll because... come to that in a moment, Kim, but that's a... It's, it's the finest of the Kiwi spirit that's in this little Zoom room right now. It's what we are really all in our hearts as true Kiwis. If you're a true Kiwi, this is the Kiwi spirit our forebears left us. Roll up our sleeves, help another Kiwi in trouble. And I think, Darren, it's, it's very important to remember a couple of things from what Ken's saying. These are New Zealand citizens, aren't they? Can you just fill us in? It was the New Zealand protectorate being run by whom when the rollout happened, Darren? Well, Ross Dern was the administrator and hmm. he had a lot of involvement, which the Tokelau authorities are really trying to push aside and say it was all the, the result of the Tokelau authorities. And yet... It was Ross Dern and his daughter that organised for the naval ship to go across with the VAX and for the VAX to be uh, administered. And also Ross was involved in meetings with the, the people and telling them that they should be VAXed and that they shouldn't be holding out because they're putting the others at risk. And he was using some very colorful language. The and pressure. so that empowers the authorities in Tokelau. Exactly. And the uh, uh, sorry, uh, one more thing. Um, uh, think trying to imagine what it was like for these families to be in lockdown for a year for uh, in house arrest we had various stages of being in lockdown here in New Zealand. 
but nothing like this. We, we could still exercise. We could still go for a walk, keep away from people and do a little exercise, just walk just out, you know, out the front of your house and on, onto the street and back, or some people would walk further. These people were kept in lockdown, and if they did go out, they were being verbally abused and threatened with physical assault and threatened that they would be held down, they should be held down and jabbed. Mm. Uh, and one year, one year of house arrest and waiting for people to, to deliver them food. You articulate that so powerfully. And this morning I came across an interview and I was doing some other research for this of uh, someone in England saying, if, if let's take a scenario of a bullying domestic abuse situation where the man who's physically powerful says to the woman, you will not go out of the house for a year. You will do exactly what I want and nothing else. You will be locked down. I will semi-starve you. We know that Anna has lost over 14 kilograms. That, that person would be imprisoned for, for absolute violence and abuse towards another human being. So Katie, at the heart of this, we are looking here beyond the forcing of a jab and the courage of these people to say no. We are looking at a crucial human rights abuse situation, and this needs to get out on the world stage. Because what they did in Tokelau, Katie, I believe they would have loved to have rolled out fully in New Zealand, Australia, and thence to the world. Tokelau becomes the microcosm of what the plan is and where the world can come behind Tokelau and help Tokelauans be free and stand up to this. I think the whole thing could, could topple over. But tell me, Katie, for you, the human rights abuses that, that you felt were the most egregious ones here. Oh, all of them. Um, mm. I, where, where do you start? In drafting the um, application to the UN, um, the number of um, uh, principles or human rights that were being breached um, rolled out to their um, multiple numbers. Um, you know, you'd read one of the one of the international human rights, and you'd be like, breach, 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 and it would just keep going through um, every single step. Um, you would be just shocked at the fact that so many fundamental rights um, were being um, impinged upon. Uh, and for absolutely no reason, remember, Tokelau hasn't even had COVID. Um, they, it hasn't arrived to the islands. And look, I understand that traditionally and culturally there is uh, elements to, to this, but at the end of the day, it's not, it, the pandemic is not a cultural issue. It is a worldwide issue that is affected that has affected everybody and different countries have approached um, and, and put different rules around it but nothing quite like this this was incredible this was a, a mandate that went to every single um, person on the island everyone had to be uh, a vaccinated and if they weren't and they didn't do what they were told and they disobeyed the elders then their situation was that they were locked up at home uh, and you know the uh, Padalicio family didn't have uh, family and friends that were understanding necessarily and take them food and deliver them food. Food gets delivered every three weeks by um, a container and you also uh, forage and fish, so coconuts uh, and um, food from the ocean. And, you know, this was not 
that not not anything that was readily made available uh, if they got uh, food from um, the container deliveries uh, they were doing well some weeks they went without uh, so everything um, has been uh, impacted um, and we covered this off in our initial letter to uh, the uh, Tapalika, they are the um, village elders uh, and we outlined just a handful of the breaches but we could have gone to pages um, of, of the breaches of basic human rights you know, right to freedom right to association right to um, you know not not be imprisoned unnecessarily or arbitrarily in your own in your own home um, and this is exactly the situation that we had here right to bodily autonomy and the effect of this, Darren, on the emotional effect on good people, in talking to Anna or any of the family, did you sense the, the grave emotional impact of this? Could you feel that as you were taking information from the family? It was very concerning. The, the emotional instability and the clinging to any grasp of communication with the outside world whether it was via Facebook Messenger briefly at times because they were getting their credit for their phones cut off and, and they, they, they weren't able to get it renewed the person that normally turns up there and um, sorts out their credit travels around the island stopped going uh. to organise their credit so they they had limited communication with people and when they had tried to reach out and when one of them tried to reach out which was a, a younger person the education system punished them by taking their laptop off of them so they, they and it was their school laptop for doing for, for doing their education and it wasn't even their laptop that they used just to ask on social media for some help that was their phone. And this is traceable on our FreeNZ site. This is the beautiful gypsy, 15 years old, with the courage of a lioness. And she was brutally punished. Um, we are still asking, and we'll put that up at the end of this, for monies to help them with other comms. We're looking for other computers. We have from some of the funds been able to uh, buy a computer and that's going to be sent up. But we are also looking for things like satellite phones and other ways to get to them. So any, any financial help that we can get this family, we can keep in better comms. But Darren, yes, the, the depression is so understandable and we've managed to get somebody in there to talk to them every week a wonderful doctor Rene de Monchi. Ken what about the um what about the whole way in which this unraveled there were moments you said before everybody ostracized but there were moments where some humanity showed through after some of the messages I know some food turned up at their door Mm. Um, did did you talk to any of them about that? Just the the sense that oh, there is kindness, even though there's been such manipulation and inhumanity, there is still some kindness on these tokalas, and we need that to grow. What was your feeling, Ken? I think I think initially um, the people were afraid to approach them, and um, as time went on, I think um, the momentum that was being gathered. Um, from the outside to support them, allowed other people, a few, not many, to come forward and give them assistance or help. And that was of great um, encouragement to them uh, from 
from their own point of view. But that was few and far between. Most people were afraid to approach them because they were afraid that they would be ostracized and humiliated and attacked themselves. So you had a whole community that was ganging up, if you like, bullying. Um, but that, those people were not necessarily wanting to do that. They felt that they had no option. They felt that they were they were going against the um, the council, that they were going against their own culture, and they they ultimately believed in the narrative. So, uh, the ones that actually were brave enough to come forward and help and give support were themselves very brave because they they were going against everything else as well. But. Um, I did actually speak to them in the beginnings uh, when we first started doing the affidavits um, because there was preliminary discussions with the family and Manolito um, and his wife, Anna, they spoke to me um, before we started to get the affidavits together. And of course, that was a major effort in itself because the, the structure of an affidavit is, has to be done properly and as um, as Katie knows, we had to re restructure them, and, and Darren also had to work on them and make them uh, look look like something different. But the initial ones we got weren't too bad. But yeah, just that ability as time went on to to feel as if they could come forward, a few people to encourage and to support was incredibly uh, inspiring for the family. But it it was not um, a consistent situation. It was something that was. Um, just spasmodic. And, but I think the fact that there was uh, outside influence, there was talk for, of, um, uh, of um, obvious legal action for us to actually be involved, just, just for them to know that we're out there doing that, allowed them to feel as if they were empowered to some extent. So I guess in many ways it was a total... Um, team effort by not only us, of course, we we did we just did little bits and pieces here and there, but but I think that the family themselves they were they were part of our team, yes. and they were incredibly brave for being part of our team. They could have folded at any time, yeah. but they did not, and I That's thought that was that was the most important thing of all. That's a wonderful point, isn't it, um, Katie? They they are so inordinately brave, and to keep that up for over a year of major psychological. I'm, I'm stressing the psychological because along with her losing weight and being deprived and not having food to feed the family, and Mahalino having to see his family suffer so much as a warrior man, he still retained that warrior spirit. They still retained their their willingness to stand up, stand up, stand up for what was right. And I, th I think now, Katie, um, they will become heroes in the long term for their mm. island, for their people. Mm. What's your feeling? Oh, I, I really do hope so. Um, I, I'm probably a bit more cautious um, uh, than... Uh, probably, yeah. Maybe We're I'm not just... out of the woods yet. We're we not out, out, out of the, the woods. Yeah, uh, let's... Communications with um, the Pedaliso family since um, Sunday last week. Uh, yeah. So we've got this letter from the Atapalinga, which is the village elders, to confirm that Tanoa is lifted. But we haven't been able to speak to them or confirm that that is the case. And communications are um, supposedly down on uh, Nukununu. Uh, so we are endeavouring um, in all of the different ways that we can to get 
information uh, from the family and to be able to hopefully speak to the family today to confirm that the tanoa has been lifted, what, uh, if any, restrictions remain, how they are mentally and physically. Um, it is a bit of a, a, a hollow victory and um, I'm not sure um, if this is the best way to liken it to, but you know, that letter yesterday was, it was great to get, but it kind of was like last week's um, announcement that all of the restrictions would be dropped. Uh, no mask wearing mandates would be, um, sorry, vaccination ordered mandates would be um, uh, dropped. And it just feels hollow. I feel, um, you know, one, it should never have happened in the first place. And two, um, it, it's not a moment for elation. It's It's simply a case of, this is only the start of, you know, stopping these um, horrendous things from happening again in the future. And the writing's on the wall. You make that point so well, Katie. You're talking about the announcement in New Zealand to the New Zealand people. There are still so many New Zealand people confused about what is actually going on. The Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, seemed to say to Kiwis, oh, we're stopping the mandates, but if you want to keep them going privately, we're all good with that. So it was... It was designed, I believe, to confuse the whole country, and it has. There are people who are totally confused about, there's no leadership, and then she's gone off overseas. So you're saying the letter, in a way, was, we are doing this because you're taking legal action. It must be because of that. It was made uh, public an hour before the deadline, and yet we have these calms down. So let's go into this part where we have the caveat. Beware, because we've had words but we don't believe anything with these governments now until we have the actions. So Katie, what is the situation there? What's happened with the comms? What's the, the reason they're giving? Mm. I, I don't have clear sight on the reasons the comms are down. I understand that there is an issue with their telco. I understand that it is to do with data, not necessarily with the phone lines, uh, although we're trying to get clarification on that and we're just not getting much. Mm -hmm. um, Yesterday, in response to the letter, uh, when thanking them, we did request option to have either satellite phone or telephone uh, line access be given uh, or granted to um, the family so we can speak to them uh, to confirm where they're at. But we've got a situation where they're essentially still trapped on um, the island. And that's to do with the fact that Samoa is uh, their closest hub. Uh, it's a 36-hour ferry ride to Samoa. Samoa, as I understand it, still has a, a vaccination a certificate requirement for people to enter uh, onto the um, uh, into Samoa, which is how uh, the closest airport for um, the people on Tokelau to get uh, off the islands. And we've got a real situation, uh, and we had it too with the uh, families on Atafu, which is the other Tokelau um, atoll where similar to Noah restrictions were in place, that they were so happy for their children, but they hadn't had um, Stockholm syndrome, essentially. They'd been under lockdown for so long that they were almost too scared to now leave their home and to see what they might be facing should they um, should they get out. Um, and I have to apologise. I was just typing before. I just saw a message pop up about possible access to um, for communications. So I'm hoping that that might be able to come uh, come through today. That would be a huge relief, eight days without communications. And this has been happening, as Darren said, on and off. Or, or Ken, I think you were saying mm. that on and off. These comms have gone down. 
Um, legally, do you think there could be a case for compensation? I've had those messages in threads on the Facebook page. Okay, so now the government needs to pay. They enforce this via the, the village leadership. Um, the government, the local government and the New Zealand government really need to compensate in my view. What's your feeling legally, Katie? Would there be some legs for that? I really don't know at this stage. I can see that the um, Taupalinga had, um, uh, is able to be sued uh, and it would be have to be something that we would have to look into a bit closer. In the first instance, I do feel that ensuring that their psychological, um, emotional and physical well-being is, is, is the priority uh, and then we can start looking at um, what other options there are. I do know that, for example, on a tafu, um, the, uh, the, the restrictions are lifted, but the uh, ability for um, the police sergeant to return to her job is not open uh, to her. So there are still mandates in place, which is affecting their, affecting their future. Their and again, quality. So, yeah, and quality. Absolutely. How do you, um, you know, it's a small, uh, all of the atolls, all three of them are small atolls. Um, you know, they all had their jobs um, ripped from them uh, when they failed or refused to comply with these vaccine mandates uh, and line up for the jab. And so, you know, there is a lot that needs to be worked through um, to, to, to determine what the options um, and, and what is available to all of the families um, and every individual out there. We had 17 people um, under Tanoa or some form of restrictions on both the Nukununu and the Atafu atolls, uh, and 11 of those were children. You know, what does that do? A portion of their life, a massive portion of their life has been in lockdown. It's just, just, how do you compensate with money? Shocking. Ken. Can, I, can I just say something here? Definitely. Um, I, I actually tend to agree with both. Uh, well, actually, um, uh, Katie's not ruling out the possibility of compensation, but I think that Darren was pushing that. I think that if we were going to do something like that, we'd have to be very careful when we did it because we've only just come out of this situation where we have a victory of sorts and we don't know really what that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. If we were to consider a compensation or a compensatory approach, I think we would be um, running the risk of, of starting things up again a little bit. I think that we need to really let things settle down. And once we are sure about the, um, the nature of the freedom that the, the um, family has, then we can start looking at, at uh, the compensatory aspect of things. I just feel it would be too soon to even start to think about that. Um, it has too many fish hooks associated with it at this point, but I certainly believe there is a, uh, it would have legs ultimately, and it would have a, um, an effect outside of uh, Tokelau as well, um, perhaps uh, in New Zealand and, and possibly overseas. Um, so from my point of view, it's a good idea, but I think we should wait um, until things settle down a little bit. Thanks, Ken. And Katie, do we know if they want to get off the island? I know originally when I spoke to Mahalino, he was saying this for my ancestors, for the right thing. This is a man of incredible moral spine and courage. Mm. He, he was saying, I will stay. Have you had feedback in the weeks recently? 
before mm. these comms went down? I, I certainly get the impression, and Darren and um, Ken will correct me, but the impression is, is that um, Mahalino is not sure for exactly the reasons that you've just outlined. His ancestors, they returned uh, from New Zealand to uh, Tokelau, I think in uh, was it 2017, beginning of 2017, mm. went back to ancestral lands, um, you know, family lands, built a house um, uh, that they live in. Uh, you know, they've gone back to their idyllic um, uh, homeland where they always intended to um, return to, to to retire and, and live um, that, that um, idyllic um, life in paradise. And so Mahalino's torn. Um, Anna has significant health issues, which, um, you know, might not be able, might mean that she can't stay in um, Nukununu, and mm. and both the kids are desperate to get off. Uh, Gypsy, who's fifteen, has been in lockdown since December last year, and she has lost so much of her of that key part of your life. You remember you when you were a teenager, and all you wanted to do was socialise and 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 get out there and spend time with your friends. She has not had that opportunity for uh, nearly 10 months where she's been forced to stay at home. And then to add um, salt to the wounds, has had her computer ripped off her by the very education uh, unit that was designed to give her that support uh, on the basis that uh, eight months into her lockdown, she spoke out. It's horrendous. It's it horrendous. Just, it, and knowing that that is the key to any social interaction, which, as you say, Katie, is so important at that age, at all our ages, but for a young one. The, yeah. the brutality, Darren, you've, you've, you've dealt as, as someone with legal training with brutal cases. What would you say the levels of brutality to your mind are on this case out of 10? What would you give it? Because that's, that's a piece of viciousness, the government going to the education department and saying, you get this off that girl on Tokula. That has to be. The has reach. To come from the top. The reach is very scary because the, the, you, you have a child that has communicated on social media via her phone. And then the education system that she is in has become aware of that social media post. And then they've gone after her. That's extraordinary. Also, um, coming back to the issues around compensation and consideration, I, I think Ken's right. the The family at this stage, we we you know we haven't got therapy locked in regular therapy with them that ongoing therapy and an assessment so we, we we can't go from lawyers perspective you can't go and load up on them right let's go we've got another case going here and put them through we we would be re-victimizing them from what they've already suffered um, one other aspect is that although new zealand suddenly dropped the mandates and they're traffic light system and put back on to employers that up to them what level of mandate they want to put on their employees the medical profession have still got a lot of people mandated 
yes. out and that, that was left to the hospitals. And my belief is that that is because that they're still mandated out and not allowed back to work because of the Whistleblowers Act. So explain that, explain so that link for Kiwis. If, yeah. So you you can't activate the Whistleblowers Act if you're not in the employment. Mm. If they were allowed back to work where they have access to their databases and can potentially mine some of the evidence, then they can call on the Whistleblowers Act to protect them. So it would be the government's act that's protecting them to go after the government. It's I so sinister. Other. The, the other way, Darren, is we have to face a government that is working against any transparency, which is what so, she, she promised us. Mm. So I can't see any other reason why the medical profession would st still be locked out because originally it was if they aren't vaxxed, they can't go into the work into their work because they're at risk of contracting COVID and then passing it on to the patients and other staff. But then we found that the vaccinated were catching COVID and passing it on. So that made that argument redundant and yet they were still mandated out. Um, getting on from that, because we're here about Tokelau, the point is, is that our government we never know when they're going to enact something and, and suddenly bring back traffic lights or, or put us in a lockdown. Or, um, we, we don't know with this government. It's been so unstable. They say one thing, they said there was never going to be any mandates. Nobody was going to be discriminated against. And then suddenly there was two lots of people and a division. And we're invited to squeal on our, our family members and our neighbours. So the people on Tokelau have been seeing this. The people on Tokelau also are aware that Ross Adern was part of the Dawn Raids and he was the administrator on their island. And he's the one that's telling them that they should be vaxxed and they're frightened. And, and so, um, you know, I... I with regard to him being administrator, I question whether or not it, him being in part of the Dawn Raid should he have even been the administrator of a Pacific Island. It's a fair question. So even that's scary for the, for the people. But it's a fair, all of these questions are fair and it's crucial background that the Tokelauans know that we in New Zealand are also being confused. It really does come now, Katie, to the people who know this is wrong, standing with the family and saying, I've had enough. I do know, I've had feedback a few weeks ago, some of those who after our call out, asking for compassion to this family and they turned up with food at the door. And I, and I remember one conversation relayed to me was, I knew it was wrong. I knew I should have stood up. I'm sorry. Here's some food for you. I'm sorry you've been semi-starving. So weird. if more and more of the locals do that, they are many still, and the leadership is few, and they can change what is going on in their island. Katie or Ken, what would you like to say to that? I just, I think that's um, a thing that will grow as time goes on. I think that we, um, the more... I, I actually don't, um, I, I think it would be nice if the family could stay uh, where they are and make a go of it because I think they become a, a, a beacon, if you like, of, of, of freedom yes. and, and so on. For them to run off to Samoa, and, and I don't blame them if they wanted to and come back to New Zealand, 
um, is is a pity in some ways because I think the rest of the community community could gather around them and they be they would become symbols of freedom and allow those other people to express how they felt about it and and just to hear what you're saying now that the the family that came and said you know we're sorry we 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 just we just had no alternative we just felt we couldn't do anything but now we see that we did wrong and and you are there and and we're just so glad that you're okay i mean that's the sort of thing you want you want people to gather around in a positive uh way and and not be afraid to come close to them and i think that if we can have that sort of um um you know that sort of social interaction and, and and positiveness coming out from this whole thing, so that it becomes a, a wider issue. I think that to me is is the um, the advantage of of what we've achieved, if we've achieved very much at all. That would be a beautiful outcome, Katie. Is it mm-hmm. still worth taking something to the United United Nations on the? patent human rights abuses. I mean, they historically now stand. They stand on the historical record, don't they? Look, um, I don't think we could at all discount uh, any um, uh, application uh, or any complaint. It does need to be done uh, once we've had a chance to catch up with um, the uh, Padalicios uh, to figure out what they want to do from here. We had initially um, uh, looked to file with the United Nations Working Group on arbitrary detention, uh, but I understand that that unit only operates when there is an active detention. So if their detention uh, or home arrest has been lifted, then our ability to go to the um, that unit of the UN's uh, possibly no longer available, uh, but there might be other um, places uh, within the UN that we could look to um, raise uh, these issues or alternatively other um, international um, bodies that we could make uh, complaints to. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, that would have to be done with the uh, you know, Padalicios, um, you know, full consent and mm-hmm. them giving us clear instructions on, on their next steps from here. Just reverting back to uh, something that Ken said before, If you just reflect on what's happening in your own uh, community at the moment, that wobbly middle, that group of people in the middle that were complicit but were concerned that something didn't seem quite right here, they are a large, large majority of of, uh, people both uh, around the world. And I do believe that there will be some reflection. People won't forget what's happened over the last two years. And that reflection, uh, I do believe, uh, will create a snowball effect uh, in people thinking that wasn't right. That doesn't seem like that was an appropriate response. That was a complete overreach. And even in the week and a half since um, Jacinda's announcement that restrictions and things and and the orders were being dropped, albeit the uh, COVID Health Response Act remains in place. There have been some significant tone changes, I believe, within the community. And uh, that I do hope will pass and flow through to uh, places like Tokelau, where, you know, 
very strong Christian uh, and Catholic um, and religious beliefs, uh, you know, people do understand and know the right from wrong. And it might take a little bit of time, but I do believe that with um, the dance that the Patelicios took, that they will become a well-respected part of their community for the fact that they took a stand in the light in in light of the insanity that was um, ensuing. Mm. Enor enormous courage. I mean, the only family on the main atoll. Let's remember that. The, the, at least on Atafu, there were several families to shore each other up. Absolutely. And so, and so we hope now that those Tokelauans who've gone along with, with, with what you were told by the officials, by Ross Ardern, by our government, and by your local leadership, we hope now that you also wake up. Darren, it's an extraordinary, I wish it were a parable, I wish it were a story. It's an extraordinary truth you shared. There'll be many people I can feel watching this saying that happened to me. And there'll be those in the Tokelaus going, I'm sticking with my own family against the leadership who are continuing to roll this out, I believe. Thank you for sharing that, Darren. And, and you too, Ken. Katie, in a way for me, it is courage that we all need. The doctors need courage. We need courage as you as lawyers have been exemplars of great courage and doing this with no funds, doing it because it's the right thing, because it's the moral thing to do. Where, where to with this, in your view, Katie? Where to? We, we are going to check what's happening with their comms, but what would you like to see now? If they played any games, we'll keep eyeballs on Tokelau. We'll keep Kiwis aware through interviews like this. We'll hope to wake up more of the Tokelau and so they stand with their own. But do you think if they played games, we would reinstitute the legal proceedings if we find that it has just been talk? Without a doubt. Mm. We're ready to push the button. My finger is on hover. I'm ready to <laughs> hit file. Um, and then, you know, this is, this is no nonsense anymore. The comms have been down for a significant period of time uh, and we just need to get uh, contact so that we can um, allay our concerns um, that are being caused by the fact that we can't speak with the family. That's probably the most distressing thing now. Mm. Yep. So how could Kiwis help? Because there are many Kiwis who are engaged with this case, Katie. Do they write to Ardern? We know that she ignores letters from our top doctors at NZDSOS. She's not acknowledging anything. Do we ring something like the platform and keep telling that outlet here in New Zealand? Um, Sean Plunkett, get him to go along with his accreditation to Parliament and ask questions about it. That kind of thing might be more proactive by Kiwis. What would, what would be suggestions from all three of you? I think that certainly there is a real issue uh, with uh, mainstream media in the same way that the medical profession have all been quite complicit uh, and haven't been the necessary watchdogs uh, of the government uh, and mm. the departments in, in rolling this out. Uh, the, the silence um, and the embargoes on, on key information. And, you know, often I'll mention to two people that we've got a family on Tokelau uh, that are in, house arrest um, and have been for a year and uh, a bit and people say well I never heard that on, on in the media and you don't you don't they are um, not doing a total disservice to the people and the population um, of around the world and it's 
it's a common theme. So I encourage you to uh, turn your back on, uh, on mainstream media, to reach out yes. to the platform, to utilise alternative sources, to not allow uh, the uh, propaganda to continue. You know it's nonsense. You know it's rot. Um, and you, it, it, it's plain for everybody to see. People aren't given the opportunity to reply to uh, awful accusations. And if you take away um, the, the messaging, it's very easy to turn um, your back on, on what's being said, but also seek out the truth. And you can't hide from the truth and the truth will not be um, folded away. It will only um, It will only come to the front and we just need to keep seeking that truth. And who, Katie, spoke out for Tokelau among our politicians? Was there one about our Kiwi brothers and sisters? Ken? No, I'm not no. sure there was. Um, and Maybe. we certainly raised it and we've certainly been hassling them about it. Um, yeah. There's been all, all sorts of communications. Um, so, yes, it is really a case of um, having those con courageous conversations and, and, and you know, you don't need to enter into a, a, a debate or a dispute. You can simply just pop it out there uh, in any conversation you're having saying, you know, do you know this? Doesn't this seem unusual to you or a bit extreme? And then leave it. Mm. It's, it's certainly possible. I'm praying, Katie, those messages that are popping into your inbox are from Tokelau saying we are getting comms. Have you been so. Sorry, I've been trying to figure out how to uh, switch off the um, noise notifications, but... Um, I really do hope that they are um, communications coming through. Just um, to circle back on the question that you asked before, which was the um, breaches of the international um, rights and the like, uh, and a list of those, uh, now that I've tracked down the letter, was uh, that um, a right to refuse consent to a medical or scientific experiment, uh, not to be subjected to arbitrary uh, detention, uh, to be treated with humanity and with respect uh, for the inherent dignity of a human person and the right of uh, right to liberty of movement. So that was just uh, four of uh, you know thirty some articles that um, were, were, were breached. But to all three of you, the the work you have done here and the long hours you've put in and the care and the humanity you've shown when there were such breaches of humanity. I think they will give a lot of Kiwis hope that we may have a cravenly fallen leadership in New Zealand. And the Tupolinga, as Mahalino has said, have betrayed their own ancestors. But the people themselves, ourselves, we are many, and there is a decency in us. And we will win if we tap into that decency. I ask, I ask everybody on Tokola watching this, please go and support Mahalino, Anna, and the family. Please support mm. the families on Atafu. We are watching, New Zealand mm. is watching, and we will make sure this gets out around the world as well. And if those words yesterday are not followed up with action, there will be legal action. Thank you all so much. Thank you for what you've done. You're real heroes. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for being the leader. Oh, I think we all are leaders. That's the thing, that beautiful saying, um, do not wait for leaders, do it alone person to person. That's what our little team has done. Thank okay. you all. Thank you. Okay. See you Wonderful. later.